I would like to warn you that this episode of Off the Watch List is spoiler-filled. So if you've seen the movie or you just don't care, welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Off the Watch List, a podcast about the movies we have no excuse for missing. My name is Luke. My name is Sophia. And what did you watch this week, Sophia? I watched Whiplash. So Whiplash is my favorite movie ever. Um, <laughs> so this is kind of a big one. This has been on just my personal list for a long time. I actually had um, a teacher in primary school recommend it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was phenomenal. You're a music person. I am a so music person. This is kind of right up your alley. You described it many times before I watched it as intense. And I think that's a great word. I don't know, Damien Chazelle, and we can we can talk more about this later, but he just has this way of of creating really intense sense-based like reality. There are many moments in his movies, this one and La La Land especially, where if you've lived in Los Angeles or if you have been a music student at any point in time, there are just like certain shots or or certain like details of the environment that he just chooses to focus on for a brief mm-hmm. second and you're like wait that's so <laughs> yeah it, he pays it's a lot so of a, grounding he pays know? a lot of attention to like the little things that makes mm-hmm. me feel real he he gets the details so precisely accurate and it's yeah he's one incredible. of those people that kind of makes me believe in inherent talent in some way <laughs> because he is so young especially like when he made this movie he was so so young i believe he was like 27 oh, wow. at the time or something like that and so yeah he was so young and so talented i mean he just had such a great grasp of the visual language and storytelling i mean this is maybe like one of the best structured screenplays mm-hmm. right up there with how to train your dragon <laughs> um yeah i can't i can't think of like how this would have been done better by another director in any way mm-hmm this feels so perfect as it is, especially for Damien Giselle. And I guess that's where we can get a little bit into the background. Well, first off, quick premise, so all this makes sense. The Whiplash is about a uh, very competitive college or like collegiate jazz drummer and his pursuit of greatness, basically. And then it evolves into his conflict with his very overbearing director, who's um, very abusive towards him. So Damien Giselle himself, the director and screenwriter of the film, was actually a jazz drummer himself while he was at Princeton High School. And so the, the, the director of the band in this movie, whose name is Terrence Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons, is based on Damien Chazelle's director, hmm. uh, who actually, according to Damien Chazelle, died in 2003, so he didn't get to see himself manifest it on I screen was ask as he, a horrifying presence. <laughs> but yeah, so he, this is kind of autobiographical. Autobiographical? Yeah. Uh, for for Damien, just in terms of he's talked about how like he started writing this movie as like a just like out of frustration, mm-hmm. and it came from a lot of things because actually this wasn't the first movie he had written um, outside of his graduate thesis film, uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. He had actually written the screenplay for La La Land, which would eventually become his big smash hit uh, into the industry. Uh, he wrote that. No, Whiplash it, was not small when it came out. It was successful. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't La La Land. It wasn't La La Land. Um but yeah, he wrote La La Land first, I think in like twenty ten mm, or something. Wow. And he tried to get it funded, but uh no one would bite on a big budget Hollywood musical about movies. 
especially at the time in the early two, uh, 2010s, it was just so musicals were just such like a non-existent presence in the film industry. So he started writing this movie in like in the midst of the frustration of not being able to sell La La Land as a screenplay and also like his just frustration towards his previous life as a jazz drummer and he decided to manifest it there. In the director's commentary for this movie, he actually talks about how it started off as a boxing movie. Uh, hmm. Because he thought boxing was like the most intense of things, and that'd be a good outlet for this. Uh, but he eventually discovered how that, like, his personal experience as a drummer is much better for that story. And I totally agree. This it, wouldn't have worked as well as a box. It would have felt way more cliche as a boxing movie. Yeah, and it's so. I don't know. I I have spent a lot of time in different musical groups and in different music programs, music school, and there are just so many things that he highlights that feel so integral to that experience that it's just extreme nuance and subtlety that just makes up this this very very accurate portrait of of how intense of an environment that can be and it's it's one of those things you know especially <laughs> you, you say you're a music major and there's a bit of a like oh, i just play my instrument <laughs> um but it really can be a very intense environment. And that's something that I don't think is widely understood. Uh-huh. Um, and so the thing that surprised me about this movie, or it didn't surprise me, I think the one of the most best kept secrets of this movie <laughs> um, is the fact that it seems like an extreme case, but it's actually like the environment that it's portraying, the people that it's portraying are not all that uncommon. Absolutely. Within, within music schools and the music industry, there's just a ridiculous amount of intensity and pressure and, and personality types that you see here. Yeah. There's just so much about this movie that it gets right about music and band. I mean, there's this little paragraph in the screenplay on page 23 when, Andrew, who's the main character, first gets into like the big band and he's waiting for all the other players to arrive. Once all the band members open the door and come in the room, it says, these are the core members of the studio band. Schaefer's cream of the crop, mostly third and fourth years, all male. A few alternates follow first and second years. Andrew watches the players buzz their mouthpieces, whip open their folders, pull out their instruments, a flurry of chatter and activity. Just like that kind of Mm -hmm. thing totally embraces the atmosphere of like pre-practice orchestra or band or yeah. whatever it is like yeah. I, I can still envision in my head when i was in an orchestra that before the director walks into the room everyone's just kind of chatting or plucking at their instrument or whatever mm-hmm. it is and there's that the buzz of noise and he just so captures the reality of it and that's something that you couldn't do if you didn't live that life for at least a little bit yeah yeah i've i've said to you prior to recording that i i don't think anyone can make this movie without having lived it there's just yeah. no way and i think that's the more i've seen of damon chazelle i think that's really his strength is you know you hear that saying write what you know and i think he really does that you know he writes about situations and places that he knows very intimately and it really comes through and if you have any sort of connection to those uh environments as well then it's going to ring very true for you and even if it doesn't just the the attention to detail and the quality and and the care with which he crafts these worlds in his movies is astounding absolutely 
his script found its way into the hands of Jason Blum, who is the head of Blumhouse Productions. And it's interesting. Blumhouse is known for their horror movies. They do a lot of like low budget horror movies. Their biggest success was a uh, get out by Jordan Peele, which was like a huge, huge smash and got nominated for best picture and all these things. But for some reason, Jason Blum like latched onto this script and he really liked it as an idea. But he wasn't, he told Damien Chazelle that he wasn't going to be able to like convince his financiers to fund this movie based on the concept. Because I mean, the concept is to like a non-musical person, a little strange. Yeah. Just this super intense movie about drumming. And so instead he financed a 15 minute short film on Whiplash, which was actually ends up being a scene from the movie with it's the, it's the first lesson scene with the studio band mm. where Fletcher flips out on, on Andrew. And he filmed that scene. JK Simmons was actually in the role of Fletcher at that point. Uh, he seems like a very nice guy and was probably willing to do it for cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it was only a two day shoot. I think he made this 15 minute short film and submitted it to the Sundance film festival he won the jury award for best short film at the Sundance Film Festival, which is a, a pretty big deal for any filmmaker. But that was enough to attract investors to get on board. And so that was what was able to get it money and it ended up having a final budget of $3.3 million, like a pretty solid for like a low budget indie film. And so, yeah, finance for $3.3 million. Uh, it stars Miles Teller as Andrew. Uh, it was originally, the role was originally offered to Dane DeHaan, actually, who was... Um, another kind of rising actor at the time, but Miles Teller got the role. And then J.K. Simmons, of course, stayed on from the short film. And I am very glad about that because he's incredible in the movie. And from what I've learned from the director's commentary, which actually it's uh, Damien and J.K. on the director's commentary, as they talk about it, they've roast Miles Teller so much on that commentary. It's great. <laughs> but uh, Damien talks a lot about what it was like on set. If you're interested in that, it's a lot of fun to to learn about. But yeah, he talks. they talk about kind of how it was like to shoot these super intense scenes where the director is shouting in the face of of uh, the main character. And according to Damien Chazelle, J.K. Simmons was just like an incredibly nice guy off camera, uh, <laughs> which stopped the shoot from being like a complete awful nightmare. But the movie shot in 2013 in and around Los Angeles for the most part, even though the movie does take place in New York. Damien Chazelle was living in Los Angeles at the time. Oh, gotcha. They did shoot some exterior shots in New York, but one of the most incredible things about this movie is it was shot in 19 days, 14 hour filming days for 19 straight days. Wow. So this was like a grind to shoot, but it, this Why is, did they do it that way? Uh, they only have $3.3 million. Mm. They, uh, they, yeah, they wouldn't be able to hold sets or anything for longer than that. They wouldn't be able to pay actors for longer than that. I see. And so this is one of the reasons that we'll get to, but like why this is my favorite movie, like hearing these types of stories where a guy like Damien Chazelle, he, Went to Harvard, got a film degree, and moved out to L.A. and got this movie made solely based off of his writing ability. And then they said, you can only have 20 days to shoot the movie. <laughs> and he did. And then after that, Sundance was coming up. Sundance Film Festival of 2014 was coming up again. And a lot of big features that are shooting for award seasons like that will submit to uh, some of the major festivals. You have Sundance. You have TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, the Cannes Film Festival, the Telluride Film Festival is the ones that like the Oscars normally go to. Mm-hmm. And so Sundance was coming up and from the start of shooting and editing and submission to Sundance, the Sundance window uh, was 10 weeks. They started the shooting of the movie, finished shooting, edited and finished editing within 10 weeks to submit this movie to Sundance. Wow. 
And I'm sitting here like I can I can track what I've done over the last 10 weeks <laughs> and it's next to nothing. And so I, I hear this story and I'm like, man, if you just have the dedication to do it, you can. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why this is just such a cool movie for me. And funnily enough, we'll get to it in the summary. But one of like the physical realities that happens to Andrew in the movie, he gets to a car accident while he's rushing to a concert. And Damien Chazelle himself, while filming this movie during the the final like days of shooting was rushing to set and got in a car accident. And so like, man, he made this awesome movie, but it probably drove him a bit insane as well. And so there's that little meta aspect to the storytelling, which is really great. Yeah. Um, So yeah, he was hospitalized for a little bit, but he uh, was able to come back to set the next day Yeah, because why wouldn't you? (laughs) Uh, Also worth noting that the score for this movie was, was done by uh, Justin Hurwitz, who, is Damon Chazelle's lifelong collaborator and friend grown up. And so that's a kind of cool story as well as how they, they, I think they were even in a band together at one point. Oh, cool. But yeah, Justin ended up scoring his first movie, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, and then he scored Whiplash. Um, a couple notes on the casting. Mentioned Miles Teller plays Andrew, the main character. Miles Teller actually himself was a drummer. He had been drumming since he was 15 years old. He was, he was 25 while filming. He had experienced drumming, and apparently about 40% of Andrew's drumming in the movie is actually Miles Teller. Oh. And the rest is a stand-in or a professional, probably for some of the more complex parts. I mean, honestly, the fact that any of it is... <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he you can, like, he's, of course, there for the shooting, and so he's playing something, yeah. um, and he's keeping up with it. So it's pretty incredible. And he also took lessons four hours a day, three days a week to prepare for the movie coming up. And so he was committed to the role. Also, J.K. Simmons himself. J.K. Simmons is a classically trained actor. He went to school in, at the University of Montana, actually, oh, cool. uh, and where he got a major in music. And so he has a musical background. He had done a lot of musicals, like stage musicals in the past, actually. Mm-hmm. So he kind of fit into this, this role pretty well as like a music purist. Uh, I suppose. Yeah. And also uh, J.K. Simmons' mom was a middle school music teacher. And so all kind of comes full circle, I suppose. And I think that's about it for background. It's pretty basic, like what this movie is. Um, but I feel like some more stuff is going to pop up the more we dive into this movie. So jump in summary. So we open the movie with a shot of Andrew Neiman, who is freshman at the fictional Schaefer Conservatory, which is, you know, it's referred to a couple times as the best music school in the country. So, you know, similar to, to a Juilliard likes of that. But he is in a classroom, I'm pretty sure, uh, and just drumming. Just kind of by himself. Doing his thing. And he looks up and this guy who we later learn is Terrence Fletcher is in the doorway there. And Andrew, Andrew Neiman, um, I think he's referred his, to both ways in the film. So I might switch back. Actually, that, there's a fun fact there uh-huh. where his character in the script is uh, Neiman. Andrew Neiman is his, is his name. Oh, is it Neiman? Um, however, J.K. Simmons's character, Fletcher, the entire time calls him Neiman. Oh, and that's gotcha. intentionally <laughs> done to like belittle Andrew. Like oh. his like his insignificance. Uh, Fletcher can't even learn his name. It's gotcha. Neiman. And the way well, he says it on the first 
on the first day of practice, he's he goes like Neiman, a squeaker. He's like like little kid Neiman. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, that's intentional. That totally slipped by me. I thought that was just his name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so he looks up and and Fletcher's in the door in the doorway. He asks him some questions and he's, you know, what year are you? Like, what's your name? What are you doing? And and he's just like, I'm I'm just practicing. And then he's like, so why did you stop when I came in? And <laughs> and he's he's very like curt and abrupt, mm-hmm. but not unkind at this point. And just so like a little can, bit rude, just a little bit rude. Yeah. But you can tell. So you can tell that Andrew is he very clearly knows who this person is, is a little bit intimidated by him and a, and a little bit taken aback by, you know, just how how blunt he is, but very eager to impress him. And so he, you know, he just starts starts back drumming and um, kind of closes his eyes, gets into it for a little bit and, and he opens his eyes and, and Fletcher's gone. Oh, and Fletcher also mentions during the scene that you know, he runs the studio band, which is like the big time at, at Schaefer that also he's the, looking for mm, players. Yeah. yeah. He's looking for players. And the reason, the thing that he asks Andrew to play is he asks him to play a double time swing, right? Uh, which comes up later. Uh, and actually one of the things I love about this screenplay in particular is everything well, not everything, but almost everything has a payoff at some point. Uh, for, so, for example, the film opens on black and you hear a slow snare roll mm-hmm. uh, and then it cuts to Andrew in the practice room. And when we get to the end of the movie, you'll discover that the snare, snare roll comes back at the very, very end. Right. And you don't really notice that until you watch the movie like seven, eight, nine, ten times mm-hmm. because there's so many little things that you see, especially with the character of Fletcher. Uh, he then goes to the movie theater, uh, right? This, yeah, that's, that's when that happens. Yeah. Uh, he goes to the movie theater to meet his dad. Um, so we, you know, kind of insinuating that he, he's close to home. He's close enough that he can still see his, his family regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl working the concessions counter at the movie theater is cute and he clearly likes her. Uh, <laughs> Oops. Um, then goes to goes to watch the movie with his dad and um, just kind of gives him a brief like oh like I saw that guy today and and his dad's like oh yeah how was it and he's like yeah it's, it's, uh, all right <laughs> <laughs> and then we see him next in the Nassau yeah Nassau Nassau, Nassau band uh, which is a JV l- band yeah kind of kind of the JV level jazz band at Schaefer and he's playing. And I'm pretty sure he's the alternate drummer in this group, correct? Uh, yeah, he's yeah. the B drummer. Yeah. And Fletcher walks in during rehearsal and just kind of takes over. It's it's interesting because the director of this band also automatically, you know. Seeds control. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you, you just keep getting a sense in, in these early moments of how, just how revered and feared <laughs> this guy is at at this school in particular and you know his name is whispered in hushed tones across the hallways but he comes in takes over the rehearsal and then goes around to every member of the band and, and tells them to to play starting at this certain measure in their music and he cuts them off after a few seconds and mo- moves to the next person yeah. and so if you know a trumpet player comes in on the wrong partial and, and kind of chokes the note which is very easy to do on a brass instrument <laughs> he's just like cuts them off nope moves on and then he gets to the two drummers and asks them to play a double time swing he listens to the first drummer for a couple minutes cuts him off um tells andrew to get on the set 
lets him play for a few seconds, cuts him off. The first drummer, his name, what is his name? Ryan. Ryan, right. What's Ryan Connolly. And so then Fletcher turns and walks out of the room and he says, drums, come with me. And so Connolly, the the A drummer, is kind of like, <laughs> and, and gets He's up totally to follow him. He's totally a player in high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and gets up to follow him out. And Fletcher's like, no, 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 other drums. And then Andrew's like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then Fletcher tells him to be at rehearsal for studio band the next morning at 6 a.m. Then the next morning, Andrew wakes up at 6.03 (laughs) (laughs) and the the panic I felt watching this. Oh, my gosh. Sir, I have slept through a lesson. And it oh, my gosh, (laughs) the moment when you wake up and check the time and then I know the feeling well and then your heart just drops through your feet. And so he he just absolutely flies out the door and is running down the street and running through the hallways. And he gets to the classroom where a studio band is supposed to be. And there's nobody there. Mm -hmm. And he checks the, they have like the schedule, the reservation schedule posted outside the classroom. And he looks and nobody's scheduled until 9am, which is when studio band is scheduled. And so he just sits and waits at the drum set for three hours. Oops. Well, not oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fletcher just told him a time that was three hours earlier. And then, you know, the rest of the band members come in. And this is the moment that that you were talking about earlier when it was it was a really cool just 20 seconds or so when and there's there's some really cool just like artistic shots uh, yeah. <laughs> a shot of a row of chairs and and three trumpet players all put their cases down on on their chairs at the same time and then open them like one after the other so yeah it, it's very musical it, yeah it almost looks like like old broadway choreography in in the way it's handled sometimes yeah the movie won an oscar for best editing tom cross was oh, the it's editor beautiful. Yeah. and yeah it's just like the i i almost would have sworn that Damon Giselle edited it simply because the editing itself is almost like a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like all the sound, everything just like blends together. Like it's a soundscape or like it's a, a music of some kind. Like they, like you said, they put all their cases down once then pop, 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 pop yeah. as they open them. And it's like, it's just so brilliant. Yeah. And you just get the, just a little bit of the, the chaos of people warming up and, and chatting to each other. And, and, oh, and then, um, the, core drummer so core meaning like the main player and then uh at this point in time andrew's an alternate but the core drummer comes up to him and tells him to tune the drum set to be flat which here's an admitted note uh, moment of weakness <laughs> i did not know that a drum set could be tuned to a specific key well t- you, you know timpanis could be tuned to specific keys. oh of course yeah so i assume it's probably the same principle yeah maybe like the toms but like how you put a snare drum in B flat, but um, <laughs> I, I thought I only saw him tuning the tom. Yeah, so it might have just I'm been sure. tom. Um, yeah, you're probably right, but that was that was kind of an obvious. <laughs> I was like, I've never thought about that before. Yeah, <laughs> I don't play drums, uh, but so he. This is a moment that you pointed out to me, and and you're completely right about it. But so Andrew looks over at the piano player, asks him for a B flat to tune it the piano player plays a B flat to him and, and he's kind of tuning. And then he has to, he doesn't quite get there and he has to turn back to the piano and ask like, Oh, sorry. Can I, can I get another one? Which is just, you it's know, so perfect. Yeah. Which is a very subtle, but 
you know, if you've ever been in that situation, you know, that's a, that's a humiliating moment to have to ask for another tuning note. Yeah. (laughs) And so that just kind of helps establish the fact that this feeling that I think a lot of people get when they are a newcomer in a already established musical group, but then also just, you know, college students in general, I think have a lot during their first couple of years of, you know, you, you're somewhat confident in your own abilities and you know that you've earned a spot wherever you are, but you haven't yet demonstrated that to the people around you. Yeah. And you're, you're still very uncomfortable and and new and unfamiliar in that setting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then Fletcher comes in and this, (laughs) and he comes in and it's immediately silent, which of course is, I think the dream of many band directors. This is the most re- unrealistic thing in my experience. The no, most, there is another unrealistic thing down the line. <laughs> the, the most uh, most common experience for me was director walks in and has to tell the band like 30 times to stop plucking at their instruments. Yeah. Well, that's because you're an orchestra. Well, you know. He has, he, he just makes a very quick comment, makes no mention of having told Andrew to be there at 6 a.m. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that I picked up on is, is he just never brings it up again ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Andrew's kind of, kind of watching rehearsal and then they, they go on break for a couple minutes and Fletcher finds Andrew out in the hallway outside and is kind of talking to him and, you know, asking what his parents do. He learns that his dad is a writer or not actually a failed writer, but didn't. Andrew says he's a writer, but then he yeah. says, actually more like a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, didn't, didn't quite achieve maybe his original aspirations and mm-hmm. in that his mother left when they were, when he was pretty young. And his, his dad actually like learning what he does as like a writer of like a, maybe a failed writer mm-hmm. teacher shows it's going to be like a running theme throughout the story. Cause mm-hmm. while, uh, while they were in the movie theater earlier in the film, his dad, brings the possibility like he says like there's many other things you can do with your life mm-hmm. and andrew is like but basically shakes it off like i, I yeah. don't want to do other things though yeah and so it's going to establish andrew's dad as like a symbol of failure for the rest of the film or i i wouldn't even say failure just he is the only one we we can get more into this later but he's the only one who really sees clearly what an abusive situation totally his son is walking into. And I, I think his character's role is very subtle, but it's absolutely vital. But I I never, you know, in, in going through the movie, I never saw him as an actual failure or even representing failure. Well, objective, except when, for when Fletcher uses him that way. Yeah. From like an omnipresent perspective, he's, he's not, I mean, he's happy and he lives a good life and he has a family and all those things, all those things that make life actually good. But the movie is a like very subjectively told story. It's Andrew Mm -hmm. is in every single scene. There's not a single scene that he's not in. Oh, and, um, so the entire movie is from Andrew's perspective. And especially as we progress more towards the end of the film from in Andrew's eyes, his dad is someone who has given up gotcha. um, and uh, that'll especially be relevant in the final scene of the movie. Uh, but, but I don't think we, the audience are meant to to view him as a failure. Not necessarily. Like, like it's going to come entirely down to interpretation because that's, that's what the final theme of the movie is. At the very end is it leaves you with a mm-hmm. question. 
Yeah. And uh, if you answer the question one way, you'll think he's a failure. And if you answer it the other way, then you won't. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a very, uh, it provokes a lot of thought, but we'll yeah. get there. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so Fletcher's talking to Andrew in the hallway and is, is very encouraging. And, and I, I, I almost like shuddered. It was, it was scary how accurate this, like this conversation is with, with Fletcher and Andrew and Fletcher is so convincing and he's like yeah you know like just you know, don't worry about what all those other guys think and you know just, just, have just, just have fun just do your best like you know you you earned your spot here you're here for a reason and and it was so weird because I can't even specifically place it but I know that I have had all of those exact lines spoken in the exact cadence said yeah. to me by different coaches teachers mentors whatever and it was it, J.K. Simmons's acting is just masterful. I cannot stress enough, like not to not to do a huh, roll credits, but like just the whiplash of of observing his character. <laughs> He's it so is incredibly so authentic. unsettling. It's yeah. so authentic that it is unsettling. Yeah. And so Andrew's kind of he was like, yeah, you know, like thanks, and and kind of feeling pretty good about himself, and um, and goes back in feeling confident, and and Fletcher's like, all right, like let's get let's get. Neiman <laughs> on on the set and so they're playing a jazz piece called whiplash called whiplash which is an existing mm-hmm. jazz tune and it's pretty it's by speedy. hank levy yeah what's the is it quarter note equals 215 the time? uh it's quarter note equals 14.8 oh yeah hank levy was known for his uh uh very strange times on his on his music which is which is pretty strange. So that that means there's um, fourteen eight, so one hundred forty eight. No fourteen. Oh, sorry. Oh, time. I thought. Sorry, I mean um, time signature. No, no tempo, tempo, tempo. Yeah, it's no two fifteen. Uh, two fifteen. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the time signature is fourteen eight though, and that's the quick little fast that's fact. Weird. Okay. Which is Hank Levy, who wrote Whiplash and several other ones in jazz circles. He's known uh, for most of his pieces having a ton of just very strange time signatures. Gotcha. All right. So what you need to know is it's a weird time signature. There's 14 eighth notes in a bar and the, the quarter notes, it is quarter note, the tempo, right? Yeah. Yeah. There are, um, the quarter notes are moving at a pace of 215 a minute. And so what you need to know is that's very fast and a very complicated time signature to play. If you're in the rhythm section, particularly he has, Andrew get on the set and counts off whiplash. And then he, he stops and um, he stops after a few seconds and then, and kind of looks at, at Andrew and you can tell he's like trying to, you know, trying to be, be, be yeah. patient, but he lets like him kinda, play a little bit first. He's like, yeah. Oh, we got a real buddy rich over here. <laughs> oh, Oh yeah. 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 Um, right. Right. It, it actually goes well the first time. Yeah. Um, but then he, um, he kind of gets off tempo and then he cuts him off and, and, and Fletcher's looking a little bit like, like he's trying to, he's trying to retain his, his attitude and his demeanor. Um, but he is like kind of frustrated and just barely holding it back. And he looks at him, he's like, not, not quite my tempo. And again, I have had, I've heard those exact words spoken in that exact style countless times by multiple people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, not quite my tempo, um, or my tempo. And, and so he, but Fletcher's like, Oh, oh okay. And, and kind of starts again, but then this follows where, where he starts and then gets cut off like 
five or six times and, and Fletcher's like, no, no, my, come on. And, and like eventually walks over and like starts, you know, kind of conducting and, and cueing him in specifically, which again is another thing. It's yeah, soloing out the instrumental. Yeah. Like the, player. like walking over to the one player and just kind of like, it's, there's just so many small things. I'm going to say this so many times in this podcast, but then Fletcher eventually, you know, he, he cues him in. And then he lets him play for a couple seconds and, and kind of walks off and he picks up a chair and throws it at Andrew. And I, I love the performance that J.K. Simmons gives here because he throws it and then he kind of like sits back and takes in a breath like he's thinking really hard. And like, or like and, he's reveling in it. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's reveling, but like he like puts his hand to his like his chin and like covers his mouth like he's like trying to think of what to say. Uh-huh. And Andrew like gets up, he's like terrified. And yeah. Ed Fletcher just goes, why do you suppose I just threw a chair at your head, Neiman? And like the way he says it, yeah. It's so matter of fact. It's just. Ugh. Yeah. And and he and he asks, were you rushing or were you dragging? And he doesn't know. And I have I have been in this situation. I think for me, more with tuning than with tempo. But mm. like, are you sharp or are you flat? And um, and has Andrew play and and then starts slapping him and slapping him on like beat four. So a- anticipating the measure and ask, was I rushing or was I dragging? And Andrew says you were rushing and he says, so you do know the difference. And, and it's just kind of going on like this. And, and, you know, in, in moments like this, it's, it's extremely intimidating and, you know, terrifying to be on the spot in that situation. Yeah. Um, and then you don't think as clearly and you, but there's also the added pressure and, and humiliation knowing that the rest of the band is all observing this and you're the one holding up everything, which is, which is the thing that happens in music and, in you know, things like sports as well Is you know, when you are not, when you are publicly not pulling your weight, there's, there's an absolutely real sense of, of like yeah. failing your responsibility to the group. And it's also worth noting a little fast fact about this scene while they were filming it, they did several takes where with JK Simmons, feigning the slap on Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons secretly agreed to actually slap on the last take, mm-hmm. which is the one they actually end up using in the movie is that uh, J.K. Simmons is actually hitting Miles Teller there. Gotcha. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, so then Andrew takes this and his his trajectory for a while is very, is also very believable to me. And he takes this and, and you know, he is obviously extremely unsatisfied with the way that rehearsal went. Um, but then he just decides that he was the problem and what he needs to do is just practice and practice and practice and practice. And is it at this point that he like brings his bed down? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just like, it's a very believable moment where he starts to like, like, like quite literally revolve his life around drumming. Yeah. He like, removes his bed frame from the room so he has room for his drum set in his bedroom and like you see him listening to like metronome beats in his earbuds he puts oh yeah wait he moves the drum set to his bedroom yeah and so i thought here's what i thought i thought he brought his mattress down to a practice (laughs) and i was like that's that's what i kept getting distracted by i was like this is the most unrealistic part i was like there's no way this guy is able to just live in this practice room without somebody kicking him out and knocking down the door the second his reservation expires (laughs) i was like how is this guy able to just like 
like co-opt this practice room for <laughs> I just like decided I'm going to sleep in the for an entire quarter. Room. I'm like, what? Yeah, no, he brings the drum set to his bedroom, Semester. which like visually is a like a brilliant on damage Chazelle's and a brilliant visual metaphor for like what is what just happened to his life because yeah. like I did appreciate you, it for the visual metaphor. But I was like, there's no way there's no way he got that yeah. practice room. But you, <laughs> like you and I are both in artistic fields. And so I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. I know that I have, but like you, you have every once in a while, you might have that moment where you realize that like, I'm not doing enough to be great at my art. I need to like push myself oh, yeah. more to be great. And so like I've, I've had nights where I like I'm, I'm writing and, or like I, maybe I'm, I'm not writing and I'm sitting there and I'm like snacking or whatever, <laughs> or reading a book or whatever. And I'm, I'm like, man, I'm not doing enough to progress myself like other people are working right now and i'm not and so progress progress never mind to progress myself <laughs> <laughs> but that's when i sit down and i start instead of sleeping i'll write mm-hmm. until 4 a.m and like i know that that feeling of like just pushing yourself to be better and deciding in a moment that like you are going to change your life yeah so that you can spend more time or dedicate more of yourself to your art yeah uh, and so that was another really true moment yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention. I forgot to mention. This is my fault. Um, <laughs> so way back when uh, when Fletcher first tells Andrew to come to Studio Band the next morning, he has a great afternoon and is feeling very, yeah, very good about himself. And he goes to the movie theater and he asks out Nicole. She right. says yes. Much um, like Andrew, we forgot about Nicole. I know. Um, she says yes, and then they don't go out until later, right? Yeah, they, they yeah. don't go out until until later, but they do have this like brilliantly awkward scene where mm-hmm. he asks, asks her out. It's it's cute. Yeah. Um, so he I mean it's it's very it's very obvious and, and kind of in your face, but you know, his um his confidence about his musical abilities directly translates into him being able to go ask this, ask this girl out now back to where we were, which is right after that bad rehearsal. He apparently drags the drum set to his bedroom and not the other way around <laughs> his bedroom to his drum set. <laughs> I literally thought that's what happened. Okay. I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> uh, so he brings the drum set into his bedroom and, and is just practicing constantly. And you see him drenched with sweat as he's, as he just, playing and playing and playing and then his hands start bleeding uh and he he puts a band-aid on it keeps playing and then the like he bleeds through the band-aid and just puts another one on it and keeps keeps playing and specifically playing whiplash yeah he's grinding on the piece that he messed up on yeah and this is this is i mean people do this i have done this where you just practice especially one thing in particular like over and over and over and over and over and you physically injure yourself because of it yeah yeah. And so then they I think it's around this time Andrew also has uh his date with Nicole. Mm-hmm. They go get pizza and and they have kind of this odd conversation and Andrew comes off as like this like kind of pretentious kid. But yeah. it was something that you know kind of kind of spoke to me a little bit where at one point he they go to different schools. She's not at the music school. Um and and at one point he asks like so what do you do? And like, for me, that is always, I have always been a blank kid. 
throughout my life, you know, you're like a band kid or mock trial kid, (laughs) theater kid for a brief stint. (laughs) But I think for, for people who are involved in, in extracurriculars over a long period of time, particularly when it's something, you know, that at higher levels gets really demanding that that does kind of become your identity. And, and you and I have talked a lot about, you know, even within music circles, like your the instrument you play kind of becomes like a personality identification. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you make judgments about people based on whether they play trumpet or clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> I like a little note. You mentioned they're having pizza uh-huh. and I, I like it a little note in the, in the screenplay. It talks about it and it opens, it says interior pizzeria night, Nicole, this is a nice place. We're at a cheap pizzeria now. Nicole is seated, two half-eaten slices of pepperoni in front of her. Andrew, yeah, I come here a lot. Beat. Then, clicking back to reality. This is not a nice place. Did I mess up? (laughs) (laughs) I've always liked that. It's like, oh, shoot. Or like a junky little pizza place that just plays music on the (laughs) bar. But yeah, he he like has this this moment where he asks Nicole what she does. And she's like, what what do you mean? She's like, I... You know, I don't really I'm taking some classes, but I'm not really sure like which direction I want to go. And and before I get into this, let me preface by saying that's an absolutely valid life path to be on. Yeah. (laughs) And most people um, are like that. Yeah. But I've been in those places where, you know, you get so deeply invested and your life just gets kind of taken over by this one thing that you do to the point where you have these moments of interaction with other people and it's so strange to consider a life where you don't plan your day around when you're going to practice and you don't plan your meals and, and what you eat and when you eat it around when you're going to practice. And it's, it's just bizarre to, to kind of have those step backs to reality sometimes when you're in that space and thinking of like other people don't, think about these things and other people don't have this thing in their life that kind of takes it over. And and so there, there's very clearly like a a disconnect there and she feels rightfully a little bit insulted that he, he kind of seems to be looking down on her for not having, Mm -hmm. you know, a thing or a passion or like a calling. (laughs) And she kind of calls him out for it a little bit and he tries to backtrack, but you, you know that that is how he, how he views her. But regardless, I mean, they're, they seem to be mildly hitting it off and, and each having a good time. Uh, and they agree to go out again. And so then the studio band goes to a jazz competition. And after, I think there, there's multiple sets. And after the first set, Andrew, who is not playing, he's just the alternate at this concert. He's, turning pages. Yeah, he's, he's turning pages for, for the drummer, um, Tanner. Uh, with Carl Tanner. Yeah, Carl yeah, Tanner. Yeah. So Tanner at this moment in time is the core player for the studio band, the core drummer. And so Tanner hands Andrew the folder of sheet music to to look after during the break. I, I don't know why, like what what excuse he gives, but he just hands it off to Andrew and, and tells like him to. He's like going to the bathroom or oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, something. He's like, hey, just watch this. And so Andrew goes goes to the vending machine sets the folder down on a chair, like gets his drink from the vending machine. And he's, you know, kind of just watching some of the other players talking. And then Tanner comes up to him. He's like, Hey, I need to see the music. And Andrew turns around and the folder is gone. There's tons and tons of conspiracy over what happens in this scene. Yeah. It is never explained where the folder is. It's never explained, but some people think that Fletcher took it. 
Um, some people think that oh. Andrew intentionally threw it away off camera or something like that in like an I effort to one up Tanner. Um, some people like some people think a janitor just took by and strolled mm-hmm. by and took it, but it's like a, a big speculation and people who like watch and live this movie are like what actually happened to the folder. <laughs> yeah. It is never explained what happens to this folder, but also that's another really realistic thing because sometimes <laughs> the folder just vanishes and you don't know what happened. Well, to maybe it. if you're not being responsible with it. Why are you looking at me like that, Sophia? I remember the last time I lost a folder. Well, not all of us can be you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I have lost folders. Um, and that's a very real thing, it's especially when you're sharing a folder with someone else. Oh, uh, you feel so and, bad. And the folder is gone, and you don't know where the other person is, and you don't know if they have it. And you, <laughs> and then you run up, you're like running around trying to find them, and then you find them, you're like, do they have the folder? Do you have the folder? And they're like, no. And then now both of you don't know where they're, it's wild. Yeah. But, um, so he turns around and, and the folder's gone and Tanner immediately starts freaking out. And I don't think he says it, but you know, immediately that he is absolutely terrified of what Fletcher's reaction yeah. is going to be. And, and he starts taking that out on Andrew. He's like, how could you be so dumb? Like, how could, how could you let this happen? Like, are you, are Fletcher and- actually earlier on the scene when he's talking, addressing the band before the first performance, he does mention something about if like another folder gets misplaced, I'm going to lose it. Oh yeah. And so he sets it up. And also one thing worth mentioning about that moment as well mm. is there's a slightly comedic beat, but just another scene showing the second side of Fletcher where Andrew sees him outside mm-hmm. and he's talking to this man and his little daughter mm-hmm. who it seems like. Is that now? I thought it was later. No. Yeah. It's this scene. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, it seems like the man probably knows Fletcher from something mm-hmm. and he's talking to this little girl so kindly about like, Oh, are you playing any music yet? And she's like, yeah, I'm playing this. He's like, Oh, well maybe one day you can be in my band one day. He's like, when and you, when you grow up and you're a big college kid, will you come play in my band? And she's like, yeah, be my piano player. And like, yeah, he's like super supportive of this little girl. And, and then I've he walks. I've also seen musicians have that conversation with kids. It's yeah. wild. And then he turns around and walks into the room and just like verbally assaults his band immediately. Yeah. And it's like, it's like kind of funny. But mm-hmm. like it's really true as well. But he, at that scene, he does mention, "Don't you dare lose your folder." Gotcha. And that's then, when it happens. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so now Tanner and Andrew have to go back and tell Fletcher that they lost the folder. Um, Fun fact here: when Tanner's freaking out, there's a voice you can hear Fletcher's voice off screen yelling "Tanner" because they're about to go on stage and they need a drummer. Uh, and that voice yelling "Tanner," not J.K. Simmons, it's actually Damien Giselle. Wow. Because they forgot to record that line of ADR and they had to make it in 10 weeks Oof. and they couldn't get JK in the back, back in the studio. And so, uh, Damien was just like, I guess I'll do my best JK Simmons impression and it works <laughs> fun. Um, but yeah, they walk in and Tanner immediately, which is this, this was another sign. I don't think this is meant to read as like reflecting poorly on Tanner. I think it's, it absolutely reads on just the fear grip that, that Fletcher has over everyone in this band where he, Tanner walks in, and immediately throws Andrew under the bus. He's like, I gave the folder to Neiman to watch and he lost it. Um, where, you know, if this was a less <laughs> toxic environment, you'd probably just. We can't find the it, folder. Especially, well, they also don't know them, each other very well. But I would, I would still do this even if it was like a stranger. I would like try to take some of the. Like I would, I would make it. Yeah, it, we, we can't find it. Make it a collective responsibility. But then Fletcher, you know, kind of looks at them and, and then he he berates Tanner for letting Andrew have the folder. You're the core. 
he just says, well, we have to go on. I hope you know it from memory. And, and, and Tanner starts protesting and says he needs to look at the music. He, he has like yeah. a, um, he, he has some sort of medical condition where he needs the, the sight cues, um, to, to be able to remember the music. And Fletcher just completely brushes this off in a very cruel fashion. He says, uh, he says he needs visual cues. Mm-hmm. And then he says, "It's he says uh, like Fletcher's like visual cues, and he's like it's a medical condition." And Fletcher's like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but he he protests in a way. He's like, "We we've talked about this. Like I told you about this." And and Fletcher, yeah, just completely disregards him. Um, but then Andrew says, "Well, I can play it from memory because he's been practicing with Lash so hard." Mm-hmm. And so Fletcher kind of looks at him and he's like, "All right, you better play it perfectly and, and get out there on stage." And so. He does, and he goes on stage, and Andrew plays Whiplash and performs it correctly, and and Fletcher, you know, doesn't get mad at him. <laughs> yeah. After this, at the next rehearsal, Fletcher walks in, and Tanner is sitting on the set, and Fletcher looks at him, and he's like, Tanner, get off the set. Core players only today. <laughs> and in, in this moment, you know, Andrew has been promoted to core player. Well, this is one of the moments in the movie where I can really tell if like the writing has its grip on me because when Andrew plays the piece well at the concert and then is promoted to core at the next practice, mm-hmm. you're like, heck yeah, like yeah. yes, he, he did it. And like that's exactly what Andrew is feeling and what Fletcher knows Andrew is feeling. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like Fletcher knows that you as the audience are going to be feeling that in this moment. And yeah. Damien as the writer knows that you are going to be feeling this at the moment. Yeah. And so he immediately takes that and puts a twist on it. Andrew enjoys a very brief time of kind of being the guy, the, that guy. And is it at, is it at this point that he has that family dinner with his cousins and his aunt and uncle i think it's here i think it is and yeah. he's very yeah very is, pretentious and he's a jerk this is the the first moment where i realize like oh like you know maybe like we're we're not supposed to like think he's this great guy the whole time um because he's really like ragging on his cousins for not doing anything worthwhile with his life and, and kind of like insults his dad too a little bit um although much much like the rest of the movie you almost understand yeah because which is the great the part here's the thing is his aunt and uncle especially are like bragging about their son's like football stats and and th- this is such a cliche like comparison to make but it really is true uh, like the the whole family understands football and they when the um sorry when when the cousin accomplishes something in football or has really good stats from the last game everyone knows what that means and is able to to understand in that and like celebrate in it but you know andrew says oh like i i just got promoted to core player in the the conservatory band or in the studio band that's a huge accomplishment yeah. but it's not it you know it's it's not something relatable or familiar to the people around him and i have i have had this experience you know just just talking to people and you know you mentioned something that has been you know really kind of consuming a lot of your life and energy and but you're like oh it's, it's just like this it's this band thing or it's this this music thing and or it's this mock trial thing um, yeah it's like, and, and you just you you realize you're like there you know i'm there's no way i'm going to be able to adequately like explain the gravity of this so it's better just not to get into it and and so he does feel a little bit sidelined but he does not react well at all and and he just like comes back and he's like oh yeah well 
you're playing for division four school. Um, (laughs) It's like not even division three, division four. This is a very interesting and complex scene. I think especially, and, and maybe only if you've been in Andrew's position where you can genuinely see both sides and you can see where his frustration comes from. You know, he, he feels like he, his, his dad is very supportive and kind of learns this is something I've, I've experienced too. And I'm, I'm very grateful for like my, my parents kind of learning the terminology and and learning what things mean things and, (laughs) um, and, Mm. and kind of gathering the tools to be able to, to talk to me about what I'm doing and and understand, you know, (laughs) what I am telling them about what I'm doing. But his, and his, his dad is, is very, is very clearly trying, but is, is still not fully there. And his, his aunt and uncle and, and his cousins are, are just not even on the same page as yeah. in, in that regard. Um, and so you, you definitely do feel his frustration at, at not really having anybody to celebrate this with and, and who he can say like, Oh, like, you know, I, I, I did this and they, they can say, wow, that's amazing. And, and really feel that. You can especially see how like they undercut him almost immediately. His like, he, like, they, oh. they, like how, how's the drumming going, Andrew? Yeah. Or they call him Andy. So like even, yeah. even just that, like is a little bit belittling. He's like, they yeah. don't use his full name. They're like, like, how's the drumming going, Andy? And then he's like, oh, you know, it's going good. I'm actually, I actually became a member of the core band. And then his, his, uh, his cousin walks in the room. He's like the football player. And everyone's like, Hey, yeah. like, like, uh, uh, Joe Montana over here. Like yeah. kind of thing. And they like completely forget what he's saying. And so like, even that little thing totally comes across as like a, you know, Andrew has been overlooked his whole life in terms of like his passions and mm-hmm. his accomplishments. And this is just another cherry on top. But then he is also, Andrew is also very much a jerk in this situation and, you know, completely swings to the other side of, of the the spectrum and, and kind of goes off about, you know, how he, he won't, he's going to be great. And, and, you know, mm. he would, he would rather, uh, and, and his dad's trying to tell him like, Oh, like, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, devote your entire being to, to one thing to, to enjoy it and to live a full life. And, and he's like, yeah, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd rather die <laughs> or, or no, no, he's, he's talking about Charlie Parker. Yeah. Um, and Charlie Parker died like broke at Parker. 30 with like, like pumped high with heroin. Yeah. But he's like, I'd, I'd rather be dead at 30 and on drugs and, and have my name be talked about at the dinner table rather than like live to be 90. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and not be remembered. Yeah. Which is, which is a, a very, like, it's a very real, worldview i think i i think it's a little bit of a naive worldview yeah it's it's and you you see him as a little bit juvenile in this moment you know yeah once again it's something that you like get like i don't i don't agree with him like i would rather Mm -hmm. be 90 and like have my like my legacy my family my friends Mm -hmm. then become like super successful and die at 30 but what he's saying like part of that appeals to me Mm-hmm. Like part of the like, I'm yeah. going to live for my like legacy. Yeah, and I'm going to create that, mm-hmm. and like nothing else matters. Like yeah, I understand you that. Get it. Yeah, and so like just another part of this scene where like you understand, you recognize that Andrew is a jerk and he's being a jerk and like he's insulting his cousins and he's mm-hmm. not taking criticism well at all. But at the same time, like you know that he truly believes in this concept of him being great that he yeah. has and no one else does. Yeah, and that is infuriating. So anyway, that that. Ends badly, obviously. And then he he goes back to studio band. Fletcher informs him that, you know, he he kind of gets, Andrew kind of gets comfortable in this core position. But then 
Fletcher brings in the original main drummer from the Nassau band, the the one from <laughs> way back Connelly. in yeah Ryan Conley, the one from way back in the beginning, who competed with with Andrew for this original spot in the studio band, and then for the first time, Fletcher to Connolly uh, refers to Andrew as a temporary core. And Andrew, who had, yeah. you know, just kind of settled in and was getting comfortable with this new position, was like, wait, um, and realizes that he is not like you're never secure. And also like one of the brilliant parts of this moment is that he has he has them both play for the role because the new song they're playing is a song called Caravan. Mm-hmm. And the tempo markings for this one are like three 20 or something, something like, that. like that but it's a double time swing it, it is a double time swing and it's also 320 and so it's like super super fast mm-hmm. uh and so he's like let's see your double time swing in 320 see if you do it andrew sits down he doesn't get it uh, he tries but he doesn't get it and then ryan sits down and is just abysmal like mm-hmm. he's not even close but fletcher is like oh like great job ryan sounds like we have a new core yeah. And and Andrew was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, that is what you're going with? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, once again, like everything else in this movie, this is going to come to pay off later. Yeah. But also just this is a good time to note. This is a family friendly podcast, but there is a lot of oh. profanity and vulgarity in this movie. Oh, yeah. So much. And so anytime like we're like saying like, oh, you jerk or the. Like, how could you be so stupid? It's like, those are not the actual words being used. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot harsher than that. But um, if you're going to watch this movie, either wear headphones or uh, do it alone or live alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of vulgarity. But so he promotes Ryan to core over Andrew. And then Andrew kind of takes this and he is furious. And again, his solution is just to practice harder and practice more. And he breaks up with Nicole because of it. And he, he goes to her and he says, look, and he just kind of lays it out. And and the thing is, he's not wrong about what he's saying, but he says, look, I'm going to start practicing a lot more. And even when I'm not practicing, I'm going to be thinking about practicing and that's going to take up all my time and all my energy. And I'm going to have a lot less time to spend with you. You're going to, or when I do spend time with you, Like, I'm going to still be thinking about practicing and you're going to resent me for it because I'm not going to be present. But then I'm going to start to resent you for even like asking me to be more present, even though you totally have a right to. And so I think it's better that we just call it off now. It's so brilliant because it's like it's like it's like mechanical. Yeah. Like the way he delivers it. And okay, I'm just going to like geek about the cinematography here because you won't notice. Okay, But the entire scene, the camera is pushing in on Nicole and pulling out on Andrew mm. as he's talking. And so the camera is just getting farther and farther away. Cause Andrew is just like, he's distancing slowly. It's the first scene where you see him start to distance himself from his humanity, mm-hmm. but he's taking apart like the pleasures of life solely for drumming. Mm-hmm. And he's like pulling back from Nicole and Nicole is trying to hang on. She's like, she's like, like, you don't think we can make this work? Like you don't think. And then like, it's like pushing in on her, like, because she's opening yeah. up, she's trying to be intimate with him. Yeah. Like, she says like, you know this for a fact. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. And so the camera just pulls away and Andrew shows no emotion at all the entire scene, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting choice for a breakup scene. Mm-hmm. Like he just doesn't care at all. Yeah. But so it's, it's something that's, that's a price that at this point in time, Andrew is willing to pay. And and so sac- um, what you said in, in sacrificing his humanity is, or distancing himself from his humanity is just brilliant because that's exactly what, you know, kind of the, his descent over the the rest of the movie entails gradually just sacrificing 
more and more of his life mm-hmm. at the altar of this one discipline that he's just going to give everything to. Yeah. And for all of you listening at home, remember how I described him as robotic because it's going to come back up later. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next studio rehearsal, um, now it's Andrew and Tanner who are sitting in the alternate spots to Connolly on the core. And Fletcher comes into the start of the rehearsal and he's, he's, he's very, he's as distraught as we see him. Um, and looking back on it, it seems very twisted, but in this moment, he, he displays genuine emotion and genuine regret. And, and he goes and he puts a CD in, in the player in the room and, and he, <laughs> He does this thing. He walks in and he says, I just put your instruments down for a second, guys, which is, again, that's a moment like that I've experienced when, you know, the director has something like important or heavy to say. And and, like to start rehearsal, like everyone's like ready to warm up. It's like, just put your instruments down. You're like, what is going on? (laughs) Um, And so this is like you can tell just that one sentence is like a like a ground shaking. Totally. Yeah. But so he puts this, he puts the CD in the player and then he starts talking and, and um, he tells them that the trumpet player is a guy named Sean Casey, who was a student of his previously and was at Schaefer, but had honestly, in his words, had honestly just scraped by and, you know, was, was struggling. Mm -hmm. And, um, but Fletcher saw something in him, a drive and promoted him to studio band. And, and, you know, he had his, he had his struggles, but he, Fletcher refused to, to, to relent his, what he knew Sean Casey could do. And then Sean graduated and got a job, a third trumpet at Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. And within a year, he was first trumpet at Lincoln Center. And in that, um, and then he tells them that, Sean had just died in a car accident. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, Fletcher like expresses regret for like losing his gift and the potential that he had to give to the world Yeah, and kind of, yeah, he, he like shed some tears and, and then wipes them away. He's like, all right, let's get to work. Um, and then they start playing caravan mm-hmm. and which is the double time swing piece Obviously, unsurprisingly, because he bombed his his like five second audition, uh, Connolly can't keep up. And so Fletcher does the same thing that he did to Andrew again. And a big part of this movie is just seeing these cycles repeat. You know, Andrew came in as the alternate and then got promoted to core and then someone comes in to it's a whirlwind. Yeah. And then someone comes in to kind of overshadow him and replace him. And, and you're just always trying to keep up. But so he does the same thing where where, you know, he starts out you know, patiently with, with Connolly and trying to get him on tempo. But then he, he becomes more and more frustrated and more and more abusive and, and starts just like hurling insults at him and eventually has the three drummers just rotate through and giving each of them like tries one after the other to play the opening to this piece correctly. And, and is doing the same thing where like he cuts them off if it's not perfect in three seconds and just has them go to the next one and eventually dismisses the rest of the band. And it's like, all right guys, we might be here a while. Da, 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 da. It's like, go get a coffee, whatever. It's yeah. going to be here for a while. Yeah. And this ends up taking five hours and the drummers are just cycling through and cycling through and, and they're, they're all like covered in sweat. They're all just like beaten down, but it's just, you know, they, they each get up for their three seconds and then have to get off and then get up for their three seconds and have to get off. Um, but eventually Andrew 
wins the part back. And then they, he calls the rest of the band back and he's like, all right, we can finally begin. And then they, they it's end like at like 2 a.m. Yeah. 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 The next morning, Andrew is on the bus to the competition. The bus breaks down and he understandably freaks out because he needs to be on time to this place. And uh, so he ends up, I think, running to a rental car place. And like, <laughs> it's one of those like very frustrating moments. There's, there's a good one in the Blues Brothers too, where <laughs> they're being chased by all these cops at the end and that they have to like get an elevator and there's like the elevator music as they're like, yeah. they just have to wait for a second in this very heated fast yeah. pace yeah and so it's a so, brilliant thing to do as a director is just oh like, my gosh it's so intense and then just to show the character just standing there because you hate that feeling i know like when and you I'm know those feelings late, in real life yeah you know, when i'm like running late for something and maybe i need like or for example in my apartment it takes a little bit for the shower to heat up mm-hmm. and you can take a cold shower but if you have the time to take a hot shower but you're still like kind of rushing yourself the like the one minute that it takes for the shower to get warm is like an excruciating hour yeah. where you're just like waiting and waiting and waiting yeah. and you're checking your watch and you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So he's, he's like having to sign all these papers to, to rent a car and he's just rushing and rushing and rushing. And, and he find he, he's able to rent a car and he like grabs all of his stuff and rushes out of the agency. And it's honestly, it's like a one second shot. It's, it's kind of blink or, or you'll miss it or blink and you'll miss it. Um, but you see that he has left his sticks, his drumsticks on the chair in the, the waiting room of this, this rental, uh, rental car agency. And so he is in the car and he's rushing and, and speeding to the venue. And, and, and so he, he pulls up, gets there, um, runs in. And I think he sees Flesher like prepping, Connolly to go on instead of him mm-hmm. or or tan or one of the other ones um and, and he runs and he's like no that's my part like i earned it like i'm i'm ready to go on and and and, and he says it's my part and fletcher's like excuse me yeah and he's like it is my part i lend it to whomever i choose and then he like looks down at, at his hands he's like usually it's to someone who has sticks and then andrew realizes and and he's like I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I left him. I'm, I'm going to go get him. I'm, I will be back. And, and you see Andrew like kind of becoming very hostile and rude towards Fletcher too, as he as he gets more and more arrogant and towards Ryan Connolly. Yeah. Calls him Johnny Utah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Fletcher's like, all right, we are, we are going to be on stage at five 30. If you are not there, like Connolly plays the part and you're out of the band. Um, and so huge stakes in Andrew's mind. And, and so he rushes back to the rental car agency grabs his stick he, he does the thing where you know you you run and grab the thing and just run immediately yeah <laughs> and then he's he's speeding back to the venue he and i think he's like on a phone call yeah someone, someone in the else. band is like yeah. where are you, you need to get yeah back. calls I think him he... and he's like look i'm gonna be there tell like tell connelly that i'm gonna i'm gonna be there um and he races through a stoplight and gets just t-boned by like a semi-truck um and here's the part where This moment was I was actually kind of ashamed of myself in this moment watching Mm. the movie because, you know, he he gets hit by this truck and, and you know, like this whole time you like it's been like a race against the clock. You're still watching the clock. Yeah. And and I knew that if that was me in that moment, like my immediate thought would have been like crap now i'm not going to be on stage on time not i just got hit by a semi truck it's another part of damien's brilliant direction because it's a one shot the car the car gets hit and rolled it's like the camera's in the passenger seat 
uh-huh. and the car gets hit and the car rolls. And if, when the car lands, the shot, the camera is still in the right of frame. Or sorry, not the camera, the, um, the, the clock. clock is still in the right of frame. So even and when the car is- you see it tick to 531. Yeah, and you're you like, can, no! You can slowly <laughs> see it like like ticking and you're like, get out of the car, get out of the car, run, 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 do yeah. what you have to. It's it's great. Yeah, and so he he crawls out from under his flipped car, grabs his sticks, and uh, he, he's absolutely like, bloodied up he's like kind of like running like yeah he's he's definitely a little concussed and the driver of the semi truck is like look i've called one nine one one. are you okay are you good like and and he's like no no no, i gotta go i gotta go and 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 the driver's like you no, you have to stay here like the (laughs) the authorities are on their way like you need you need to get checked out he's like no no no, just and he like throws the guy off of him and just starts running and he gets to the performance place the band is on stage and he runs on stage and sits down at the the set he makes Connolly get off and Fletcher just like looks over and this is this is a very I mean, as if we haven't had enough telling moments for Fletcher, but this is an extremely telling moment for Fletcher where he looks over, sees his drummer, like hasn't even like cleaned up, like he is completely like dirtied, bruised, blood literally running down his face. And he's just like, well, he's here and like makes no expression of concern or like maybe we shouldn't do this performance right yeah. now until I check in on my player. He's just like, all right, let's go. But as, as we've said, Andrew is, you know, his hands are <laughs> badly hurt. He is like not explicitly stated, but he's definitely a little concussed. He's, he got blood dripping onto the drum set. We can probably just say not in playing condition. <laughs> yeah. And and so he's, he's trying to play caravan and he is not doing well. And, and so Fletcher stops the band and like a not fires because it's not a paid position, but essentially fires Andrew from the band. Um, and he You're like done. turns back to the audience and, and tries to say like, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. And, and Andrew just gets up and lunges at him and, and like pins him to the floor and starts like trying to, to attack him. And fun fact in this moment, J.K. Simmons broke two ribs. Ooh, I don't know, an accident. Yeah, just the way he landed. He Yikes. landed wrong. Yikes. But for this little stunt, Andrew gets expelled from Schaefer. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd expect that. Uh, <laughs> um, and then you see a meeting with Andrew, his father, and a lawyer from a, a lawyer who's representing uh, the parents of Sean Casey, the, mm. the trumpet player who was a former student of Fletcher's. And the lawyer tells Andrew that Sean did not did not die in a car accident. Sean died by suicide with mental health issues that began during his time mm-hmm. as a, a student of Fletcher's. Uh, Sean's parents obviously um, have traced these issues back to Fletcher and are trying to sue him, I think, or... or um, just get him held accountable. And so they ask Andrew to testify anonymously against Fletcher and, and Andrew, this is really, this is another really telling moment where Andrew is like defending Fletcher. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. It's just like, it's, it's fine. Like he's, he's, a, he, he's just brilliant. Like he's rooted. And it's like my fault. Da, da, da. I think this happens a lot in, you know, a, abusive and toxic relationships of any kind, but especially when you're, you know, kind of a newcomer to a really intense world like this, where there's a, there's a sense, especially when other people are, you know, willing to accept it, that that's just how it is. And if you want to make it, you have to be okay with that. Yeah. Which is a really, really unhealthy 
environment. And, Mm -hmm. but that, that is unfortunately very prevalent in a lot of these like higher spheres of, of anything of, you know, arts of any kind of sports of a lot of academic disciplines, Mm -hmm. you know, when you get to a certain point, if you want to go any higher, you have to be able to take that. And, and I have many issues. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Honestly, I, I have a lot of issues with that. Um, but it's it's the way that the world works in a lot of situations, which is yeah. kind of awful. But Andrew does eventually agree. And we learn that Fletcher is fired because of it. And so then you have a brief interlude where Andrew has been expelled from Shaver. He moves back in with his dad. And you kind of get this, you know, he he gets a job. He's working in like a sandwich shop. And, and you you get just some very quiet scenes of him just kind of puttering around. And this was also very, um, very relatable to me where all of a sudden he just doesn't really know what to do with himself. Yeah. And, and he's, he's out walking around one night and he sees a flyer for a jazz club. That's going to be featuring guest artist, Terrence Fletcher. (laughs) And he decides to go and he, he, just kind of walks into this, this little jazz club and, and stands at the back and is watching uh, Fletcher at the piano playing. And it's this interesting moment because this is the first time that we have seen Fletcher as a musician himself. And he very clearly has a deep love for it. And he is, he's playing the piano and he's just kind of enraptured with it and, and, you know, treats it very lovingly and almost like he's coaxing the music out of it. And, it's never acknowledged, but Andrew very clearly recognizes that too and respects him for, for having just this, you know, kind of devotion to, to his craft Peace ends. And Fletcher looks up and sees Andrew and Andrew's like, Oh, and tries to <laughs> just leave. immediately turns but, around. Uh, but Fletcher like kind of calls after him and, and ends up like having him sit down at this table and they chat for a while. And then you see, this is probably the most sympathetic scene for mm. Fletcher where even more so than, you know, the moments where he is shown to be at least on the surface, like kind and, and encouraging. He starts talking about this story that he's, he has said a couple of times, uh, or he has referenced a couple of times throughout the movie of, you know, Charlie Parker bombing this audition. And then Joe Jones, the drummer, like threw a symbol at his head and Charlie Parker took that and went home and practiced just relentlessly for every day for a year and then came back and, and was Charlie Barker. The legitimacy of that story is a little bit in question. <laughs> uh, just like the true, like the real life nature yeah. of it. But for the story, it works great. Oh, have we met Charlie Parker, legendary jazz saxophonist? Yeah. But he, he tells the story again and, and he starts talking. He's like, so what if, what if Charlie Parker had, had gone in and he had played that audition and it was fine. Um, and Joe Jones said, you know what? Good job. You you played a good solo, Charlie. Like, like you get the part. And then Charlie thinks, you know, I did play a good solo and doesn't have any motivation to go any further. And he said then he, then he wouldn't have gone home and spent that year just practicing intensely. And he wouldn't have, you know, had that drive and that, that reason to go even further and to keep pushing himself. And, and we wouldn't have had Charlie Parker. And he describes this as like a loss to the world. Yeah, like this is a tragedy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that is the cost of this kind of greatness that, um, that a lot of artists and, and people of all disciplines aspire to. It, it's very interesting here because 
uh, Fletcher always speaks of the world as being entitled to those artists. And if, if that artist, if Charlie Parker hadn't gone home and, and done that, then he would have been robbing the world of his potential, which is a very interesting way to look at it because, you know, Fletcher, he really doesn't see great artists as belonging to themselves. Yeah. And they are, they cease to be human and instead are there at the service of the rest of the world. And he, he finds beauty in that and thinks it's a, like a almost a righteous thing. And he just, he explains that this has always been his philosophy in teaching and that he quote, he thinks the most dangerous words in the English language are good job. And, you know, he will never stop pushing his students to be better than they are because to do so would be to deny the world something beautiful. And he could never live with himself for doing that. And and he's like saying this and you kind of, he's very convincing. You're kind of like, oh. It's so, so brilliant. Yeah. This is, this is one of my favorite movie scenes of all time from a screenwriting perspective because like, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. And that's the crazy part is like in my, in my artistic fields, I know I've been best when I'm super angry and I know I've been mm-hmm. I'm best when I show something I've, I've showed my work to people and have been told this is not good before mm-hmm. or like this flat out doesn't work. And when that has happened to me, I know that I feel so ashamed and I'm so embarrassed and I go home and maybe I cry about it for a couple of days and then I wake up all of a sudden and I'm going to say, I'm going to show that person mm-hmm. and I work really, really hard and I get better. And yeah. so like, he's not wrong, but at the same time, like, you know, what he's doing is wrong and yeah. like, you know, the way he's treating his students is wrong. Yeah. But the way he talks about art in terms of like art as this <laughs> almost divine thing, mm-hmm. it's almost inspiring. It is inspiring. It is inspiring. And like, he talks about the art, like it's greater than the artist. And I sometimes talk about art like yeah, it's greater than the artist. Too. Like l- l- just like in general, like the way I want to make art in my own life is just for art's sake. Like art has more value than any other thing. Mm-hmm. Like art is like a way of worship almost. Yeah. It's like amazing. Uh, and like you can use it to be like inspired and uh, to create beauty. And that's not something that like people can do. That's the art. Mm-hmm. And like the way he talks about it, I agree with him. Yeah. And I, it's just, I can't stress enough how mind blowing this writing is mm-hmm. to take a man who is so despicable, like the way he treats his students is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And the, take that man and in one scene to make the entire audience go, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Like that is insanity to me, mm-hmm. especially from like a 23 year old writer. Yeah. Like that it's, just it's blows amazing. my mind. Yeah. And, and you can tell it's kind of winning Andrew over too, obviously, but it's, you, you have to fight to remind yourself like, no, what, what he's doing is not okay. This mm-hmm. is not an excuse because he's just speaks so convincingly. And so just with such reverence. And, and so they have this conversation and, and also the, the other thing this accomplishes is just further cements this idea of, um, Fletcher will never ever see the error of his ways and he will never 
experience any kind of remorse or regret for the way he treats his students. And he even says that himself is that he will never apologize for pushing them beyond what they believe they're capable of. And, and so he, this also just, just drives the point home that he truly does not see an issue with his methods, Mm -hmm. which is mind boggling. They then exit the jazz club. He tells Andrew that his drummer, Oh, and yeah, he, he mentions that he's been, he had been fired and, and that they got someone to testify against him anonymously. And he's not sure who it was, but probably some student from a few years back. Da, da, da. He tells Andrew that he is now conducting or directing a, um, a professional band that's going to the JVC jazz festival like that weekend or, or some very quick time frame. And he tells him that the drummer is not cutting it. And would Andrew be interested in playing instead? And he he assures him that, you know, he's just using the old studio band set. Like it's all songs. Caravan that, Whiplash. Yeah, Caravan and Whiplash. It's songs that Andrew's played before. It's it's pieces that he, he, he like needs a drummer who knows him really well. And Andrew, you can you can see this is also a something I've experienced where he's like, offer this opportunity and you can see the part of him that knows what a cool opportunity it is and really wants to, to do it for himself. Playing at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. But then there's, there's simultaneously the part of him that knows what an ordeal of energy it's going to be to get there. And he doesn't want to go through that. And he's like, uh, uh. but Fletcher tells him to, to think about it for a couple of days. And, and so Andrew goes back home and he decides to do it. And then there's a brief moment where he calls Nicole and, you know, tries to reconcile with her and invites her to come see it. And she's like, uh, maybe, but I'll have to ask my boyfriend. What? And he's like, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then he, he hangs up. And, and so that, that door for him is closed and he opens, <laughs> this is another, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a shot where he like opens the closet door and just like looks down at his drum set. And I've also had this moment with my instrument after, you know, not playing for a week and you, you like open the case and you're like, <sighs> here we go. Again. And just taking, taking the instrument out and putting it together is one of the most difficult things to do. Sometimes it's in yeah. you, you're, especially when your heart feels heavy and like you do not, like there's no part of you that wants to be doing it, mm-hmm. but you know that, like you have to for, you know, you're practicing for something or there's some other, like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but so he pulls out his own old drum set and, and starts practicing and he decides to, to play the gig. And thus we enter the third and final act. Yeah. And so he shows up at JVC and they all, the band all goes on stage together. Andrew's sitting there and, you know, he's, he's looking out at the audience and he's kind of in awe of just the scope of this performance and the scale of it. And then Fletcher walks on stage and on his way to the, the podium at the front, he stops by the drum set and looks at Andrew and he's like, I know it was you. You think I'm stupid? And you just see oh, Andrew's face no. and, and you're like, uh oh, cause now and, and this to me, this out of all the horrid things that Fletcher has done in this movie, this to me was the cruelest moment where he gets up to the podium. He has just revealed to Andrew that he knows it was him who testified against him. And then he calls a piece 
that Andrew has not played before. That is, and he is does not have the sheet music for the two. The brilliance of this it shows Fletcher's philosophy. Philosophy. <laughs> it shows Fletcher's philosophy okay, Barry. is uh. <laughs> <laughs> It shows Fletcher's philosophy is fallible um, because he gives up the artistic integrity for his own revenge. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. It's so smart. Yeah. Because Fletcher, though with his many problems and all the wrong things he did, is faultless in his logic so far. And in his output. And in his output until this point. Mm -hmm. Because... Everything he did, he did for the art until he wants to get back at Andrew for what for Andrew tattletailing on him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's no longer about the art for Fletcher. Yeah. And just like that oh little my gosh, bit I hadn't of even brilliance. Noticed that. There's so much happening yeah. in this moment. And you can feel Andrew's panic. I don't think I've ever been in this specific situation, but absolutely I could one hundred percent put myself in his shoes and just fear feel the sheer like, because he is still on stage having to perform. And, you know, if you've, if you've been like in that, that world of like concerts and, and performances, like it takes a lot for you to break that, you know, stage demeanor. And yeah. so he's not going to just like stand up and like, Hey, I don't, I don't have the music. Um, like he, he feels like his only option in this moment is just to go along with it. He does not have the music. He has never heard this piece. And so he just has to try to like make up, a drum line to go along with it and all the other all the other players are are sort of you know kind of looking at him like what's going on like hey what are you doing and you can just absolutely feel his humiliation and his frustration like all building in him and then do they finish the piece oh oh yeah they, they finish they finish the piece but andrew doesn't know where the piece ends or when they cut off so he like plays a couple like extra bars yeah and and he's like oh it's so embarrassing it's it's absolutely you. It, the secondhand embarrassment in the scene is unreal. It's off the charts. Also, with the, the like the delayed audience applause, mm -hmm. it's so bad. Yeah, and and he just stands up, and Andrew's dad is in the audience. Andrew's dad, who is uh, as I said, he's such a necessary character because he's the one throughout this whole movie who is kind of trying to bring him back to. Humanity. humanity honestly and into saying like you know like this is not more important than your happiness and your sanity and there are other things like this is not what life is about and the entire way andrew just completely like brushes him off as as he's trying as his dad is trying to point out like how abusive this teacher is and and how it's not a good situation and andrew's just like no this is what this is where i need to be this is what i need to do like i just i just have to get through it and you know, you can, you can imagine the heartbreak of, of his father, just like having to, you know, wanting to be there and support his son, but having to watch him just like willingly walk into this fire. But so Andrew's dad is in the audience and, and he's a very important grounding character for the audience too, as yeah. well to, to just remind us that this is not normal. Well, it is, it is common, but it is not yeah. okay. Um, and it should not be normal. And it is not any way to actually live <laughs> if living is your goal. Um, living a life instead yeah. of just, you know, a, a non-human existence. But so Andrew's dad runs out of the concert hall, runs backstage as Andrew leaves the stage and and they meet backstage and, and just, 
you know, he just hugs him and, and holds him there for, for a minute. And you really think Andrew's going to leave. But then he, he pulls away from his dad and he walks back on stage and sits back, sits back down at the drum set. This is one of those moments where the symbols that have been established in the, in the previous parts of the film come back in full force. And it's so important because like I said earlier, his dad is a symbol for normalcy almost. His dad mm-hmm. is a symbol for giving up the dream to be great and settling for good. Yeah. And so he runs off stage after failing miserably and goes to his dad and his dad is in the wings and he hugs his dad and then he like takes a step back and looks at his dad and mm-hmm. man the performance here i'm sure like damien has specific direction here but the way he looks at his dad in that moment it's like he doesn't even know who he is like he looks at his dad and mm-hmm. he's like he's like disgusted almost yeah. and he takes a couple steps back and then turns and walks back on stage yeah and Throughout this last little bit that we're about to talk about, it cuts back to his dad once looking from the wings at mm-hmm. his son. And his dad and has like, this expression of like horror yeah. looking at what's about to happen. And like just the symbols, like this is, these are just three characters. Fletcher. <laughs> symbols. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see what you mean. <laughs> but like, this is just Fletcher, Andrew, and his dad, three human characters. But they all stand for something in this scene. And every it's just such mastery of like cinematic storytelling because everyone watching this movie knows exactly what Andrew running off the stage away from Fletcher to his dad, getting to his dad, seeing his dad, then turning around and going back. Everyone knows what that means mm-hmm. solely based off the the character development so far. Yeah. And so he, he goes back in, he sits down at the drum set and then he starts playing Caravan. Yeah. And everyone and, and this is. Um, this is, this moment is great for a couple of reasons. One is, is you see one, one thing that Fletcher has, has demonstrated throughout the movie that kind of makes him seem almost inhuman is he does this thing that I'm, I'm sure most people know someone who who can do this and just like be completely charming and composed in front of an audience. He's like a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he, he has like this perfect stage presence, but all of a sudden this, um, like this, this drummer just walks, walks up and starts playing something that was not planned. That was not like what he said was coming next. Um, and, and so Fletcher has this moment of not being prepared and not mm-hmm. knowing how to salvage his stage presence. He, he does regain it, but he's taken off guard for a moment here. And then everybody else in the band is just kind of looking at him. And, and Andrews is just He's got his eyes on the floor, I'm, I'm pretty Styling. sure. And, and yeah, and, and he's just playing. And he like looks up at the bass player and he's like, he's like, caravan, caravan, like I'll cue you. And and so the bass player's like, okay. And he just like starts playing. And, and he like, Andrew looks over at all the other players and, and gradually starts like urging them to enter as well. And and then soon the whole band is playing this piece. And, and Fletcher at this point is like, all right. And, and just conducts his way through it. They, they finish the piece and Fletcher cuts off the band and Andrew keeps playing and he, he just, he doesn't stop. He turns this into like an extended solo and, and Fletcher like is, is angry and is walking up and he's like, what are you doing? Like, and, and Andrew just like kind of looks at him and he's like, I'll cue you. Um, and yeah. well, there's, there's so much back and forth going on in this scene mm-hmm. where 
like Fletcher will like walk up and insult Andrew and Andrew just like slams the symbol in his face yeah. kind of thing. And like, like at start they're antagonizing each other. Like Fletcher yeah. is the enemy at the beginning of this moment. And uh, like, I'm going to refer to the screenplay one more time uh-huh. in this little section um, as they're playing caravan. It says the band roars into overdrive, the brass blasting away, Andrew giving everything he's got. Fletcher steps back. Andrew just keeps looking straight ahead. Unafraid now he's a machine. Mm-hmm. And so coming back to this robotic idea, like he has lost, he has lost all humanity. He is now a drum playing robot. Yeah. And like it's um, very mechanical. Yeah. Not so, mechanical in sound. Yeah. He sounds great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, at first Fletcher like comes up to him and he says like, I'm going to gouge out your eyes. He says, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Andrew just like, dr- like drowns him out mm-hmm. and just keeps playing harder and harder. And Fletcher kind of admires it a little bit. Yeah. And you get, he gradually comes to respect it. Yeah. And you actually see this shot of him kind of like drifting on the side of the band, like nodding his head and you start seeing like slowly smile a little bit. And the, the one moment, I think it's the splash symbol gets um he uh andrew like hits i I believe i don't play drum set i think it's the splash he like hits one of the symbols and it it, like the the rim of it gets caught on Mm -hmm. on um on the edge of uh, another one of the drums (laughs) don't know which one Um, (laughs) but so that it it it, it hasn't come up so he can't like hit it again and and like fletcher comes over and like fixes it for him as as andrew's playing and And i was like oh all in this scene it goes from complete enemies like rival enemies polar opposite Den Fletcher is just observing, observing Andrew mm-hmm. in like his playing and being like even a little bit impressed. And then he becomes his aide and he yeah. helps him. And uh, in the part we're about to get to, you're about to mention the drum solo. Uh, you actually see Fletcher That's, start to. I didn't mention that. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, oh. we'll go through it. But during the drum solo, you actually start to see Fletcher start to interact with Andrew and like, like bring it down a little bit here. Now bring it up a little bit mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And you like see him like contributing. They're responding to each other. Yeah. yeah and like working together. And it's this. It's like there's no dialogue. It's just this crazy visual display and it's all music and yeah. it's great. Yeah. And, and and you do get that shot back to his dad and horror is exactly the right word. Just watching this happen and kind of realizing, realizing the heights of musicality that Andrew has achieved, but also realizing what he has sold and sacrificed to get there. I'm just going to make a mention um, of what it says in the screenplay about Andrew's dad uh-huh. looking through the lobby doors. It says Jim watches Andrew crazed, exhausted, looks like he's pushing himself past where it's safe and knows there is no longer anything he can do about it. He mm-hmm. has lost. Yeah. That's, oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Like he just lost his child. That's what the story is yeah. saying. And, and so Fletcher gets to this point of admiration and Andrew just keeps doing this extended solo. He he does that thing where he he gradually like slows it down and 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 eventually simplifies to to just the single snare hit like the dun 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 dun, dun and then builds it right back up and um yeah and and then he is looking at Fletcher and communicating that he's, you know, he's getting to an end and then, you know, they, they have this moment and, and, and they understand each other and Fletcher cues the band back in for a, like the final chord um, and cuts off the band. And it's this very, and, and then black, that's the end of the movie. And, and so it's this very, it's either a triumphant ending or a horrifying ending. 
and I kind of hated it. <laughs> um, not, not like in its, not in its execution. It's a brilliant ending. I don't have a, like an objective problem with it, but it I hated watching it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you picked it up, but right as Andrew finishes his drum solo, he finishes it like it goes quiet and Fletcher's about to cue the rest of the band for the final note. It's a close up on Andrew's eyes as he looks at Fletcher and then a close up on Fletcher's eyes when he looks at Andrew. Mm -hmm. Did you notice anything about that close up on Fletcher? No. He says, good job. Oh, wow. you see his like his cheeks move. He goes like, good job. And he, you see it move. Maybe I did notice that. And I didn't remember that. then he cues the rest of the band and then it cuts to black. And yeah. so, yeah, Fletcher wins in the end. And he gets yeah. what he wants. And I guess Andrew kind of wins. Andrew. He gets what he wants. Andrew thinks he wins. Yeah. I don't think Andrew wins. I don't think so. Either. And that's that's completely open to debate. I mean, Andrew gets what he wants. And like, I think that's just the brilliance. But he loses everything else. That's just the brilliance of the ending. Mm -hmm. And like Damien Chazelle, he's still a very young filmmaker, but he's kind of known for his endings. Like if you've seen La La Land, you mm -hmm. know, the thing that really makes that movie great, great is the ending and the way that he pulls off that like 10 minute montage sequence. Yeah. Damien is known for his like long and drawn out, but like um, very emotionally moving endings. And this is one of them where there's just so many like changes in character in the final 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then when he plays those last notes and then like the symbols crash and it cuts to black you're kind of just left sitting there like you realize that you're not breathing yeah and you're just like kind of in awe and yeah honestly like when i first saw the like, movie i i still hate how it ends yeah and i love that i hate it yeah i would not change a thing about the way this nope. movie ends but like i i know that everything went wrong mm -hmm. and so like it's just the brilliance of the movie. Yeah, it, it really is. Exactly. The, the, the characters in this movie are so real and I have encountered all of them. And the mm -hmm. horrifying thing, if you've seen this movie, if you've seen this movie and haven't like. I, I'm speaking specifically about the music world. I, I don't have knowledge of, of, you know, other disciplines at, at that high a level, but you know, Fletcher is seen as extremely, well, just as extreme and, you know, just kind of shocking almost in, in his methods and his beliefs and the, his, the lengths that he'll go to. But people like that it, it exist and are not uncommon in mm -hmm. music, particularly if you pursue it at a high level, you are going to encounter those people. It, it's, it's very difficult because I think you could also argue that there's no right decision in that, that case. It, it just comes down to what you want. And in that, from that point of view, Andrew got what he wanted and he wanted to be great. And, and he wanted to gain the respect of this teacher and, and gain the respect of himself. And he got there. So, you know, did he win? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but that's not something that I would choose for myself. And it, it's not something that I would want anybody close to me to choose. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think that's like kind of wrapping it up. This is the end of the movie, but like, I think that's just the brilliance of it is mm -hmm. this is what great movies do is mm -hmm. it like leaves you there and you don't really know 
how you feel, but like you feel. Yeah. And like this movie is, is so great at like making me feel that way. Mm-hmm. And every single time I watch it, I hope for a different ending. Yeah. And honestly, the fascinating part is if it did end differently, I would still probably hope for a different ending. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I just feel like this, it can't get much better than this from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. And for, for Andrew, you almost feel like there's no, there is no wrong decision, but there is no good decision for him. Yeah. You know, like he could have made either choice, like either, you know, a, abandon slash drastically cut down on drumming and, and kind of salvage his life or, you know, achieve his goals as a musician, but, but sacrifice everything else. He could have made either of those choices and you would understand why he made it. Yeah. But neither of them is a satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no, so I think, you know, you can say Andrew won, but I would also say probably more, more realistically, there's no way for him to win. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't realize that until the screen cuts to black. Yeah. And you're like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Whiplash. That's Whiplash. It's a great movie. If you have the Phenomenal. stomach for the language, yeah. then I'd recommend it. This is another one that, that requires like some emotional investment. Yeah. It's not a movie that I would want to, you know, I'll, I'll watch movies and, and have them on in the background while I'm painting or doing something else. Um, this is not a movie that I would recommend doing that for. You yeah. have to, the visuals are beautiful and gorgeous. And, and again, I, we haven't talked nearly enough about the editing and, and just Damien Chazelle's visual style. Yeah. I love it. I am so enamored with him as a filmmaker and, and the editing is absolutely gorgeous, especially the way that it, it flows with the music and, and just complements it so well. So if you have that time and that energy and that stomach, absolutely watch this film. It's brilliant. I would, I would recommend it. I think certainly to anyone who wants to teach and or play music, <laughs> maybe not to a beginner music student. Yeah, it might scare you off. Any, anyone who has experienced any type of music school or, you know, high level musical group. And after everything we've just said, remember 10 weeks and $3.3 million. That's insane. It's yeah. I would guess. For some reason, I feel like Damien Chazelle also does not agree with Andrew's decision. I mean, he he was Andrew and he quit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's just interesting to me to hear that, you know, I don't think he would endorse what Andrew does, but he kind of did it in the making of this movie. <laughs> I think I think like overall you can look at it and it's a the overbearing theme that like may not be there on first or even 50th watch is just that like for those people who have the art inside of them and they have that desire to make something beautiful, mm. they will never be satisfied mm. and like their story will never be concluded. And like for someone like Damien Chazelle, I mean, he was a jazz musician. He was, I'm sure a very good one mm-hmm. and he pushed himself to the limits and he didn't want to do that. So he quit. And what did he do instead? Picked up film mm-hmm. and became a filmmaker yeah. and has probably been pushing himself to his limits there. Mm-hmm. And maybe that being find- said, 19 days is not a lifetime. Like Andrew chooses this life. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sure he's so glad that it, he did it because it paid off for him quite well. But yeah, what a movie. What a movie. If you play instruments. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, send us an email. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's end. my that's my hook, and I'm sticking to it. Um, send us an email at offthewatchlist at gmail dot com. We are also on the Instagram. That handle is at off the watch list pod. Mm-hmm. And I am just as drained after talking about this movie as I was after watching it. So we're going to call it here. Yeah, we are. Thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>